No, there's nothing wrong with the audio, I swear to God. These are sperm whales. And this is how they talk. Yeah. And this little audio stream you're hearing. Whoa. What you're hearing is not doing it probably any justice. You can notice the whale's going to flip on its belly. That's where it collects those echoes underneath its jaw. They don't use ears underwater. So he's getting a really good look at him right now. Oh. This is from a video of one of James Nestor's he's presentations. Yeah. Who he spoke to tonight. Yep. Wow. Neato. Yeah, trippy. Yeah, super cool. Um, yeah, wow. Um, we had quite a conversation. Yeah, this is something that I could talk about. Like, I'm going to go talk to everybody about this. I'm going to be like, you have to go You have to go to YouTube, and you have to check out James Nestor, and you have to go, like, listen to our show. <laughs> because well, it's, like, one of the cooler things that I've heard in a long time. Because I think... I think just when you think you've heard it all or seen it all and then something actually blows your mind and, and it, maybe this is a product of getting older where it, it gets harder to be impressed by something or shocked by something. Well, it's just a, a it, experience makes you less impressed with things. I guess. I mean, so yeah. when you hear something that you're like, oh, I had no clue about that. I, it, it blows I, your mind. Yeah. It, and it, it, and it actually feels mind. good to have that happen. Once in a while. I, I love uh, when it, it happens. You feel alive again. Like, oh, I can learn something new. Right. Or I, there's, I, there's still cool shit on the planet that no one knows about. Well. <laughs> That's still going on. Yay. Uh, well, yeah. And so we, we're going to get into this in the show a bit. But, I mean, it's something I, I it's a point that I really want to make known what this show is about. Is I, Look, I ghostly talk. We talk about the paranormal. We talk about weirdness. Well, we talk about all kinds of things now. We talk about whatever we like, really, but yeah. I, I think this is a good example of how when you're exploring the supernatural, you're always looking into other worlds, like other dimensions or an afterlife or, you know, things like that. Other that, races, that, other species. I mean... And, whatever, but there, there is still weirdness to be found that's just as supernatural on our planet still. And I think... But it's not supernatural. This is this is it in is front of us. It, this is right no, here. No, I know that. But it it the yeah. the feeling that it creates and and how amazing it is is very supernatural to me. Yeah. And it's not something to do with ghosts or ESP or anything like that. Um, so James Nestor's big thing is studying free diving. Free he wrote diving. A book. Well, yeah. This is where I mean that's where he started with this yeah. adventure. Was, and we'll be talking about what free diving is because it's absolutely terrifying and insane to me. <laughs> and then from that he was introduced to the world the the free diving uh I don't know if you would say free diving. Well, he, he, he met with people. Diving, yeah, I'm sure there's yeah. a community of people who free dive. It's going free diving community. and free diving around sperm whales, which is like pretty much the only way you can really get close to these beings. Uh, if you, if you scuba dive, if, yeah. if you have use a, a submarine or anything that has a mechanical apparatus to it, they're going to be freaked out by the sound and come nowhere near you. And if you're just floating there chilling, they're like, hey, how you doing? Although they click. I can't do that sound. And the click is so loud. 230 underwater. Underwater decibels. So and that we're going to get into this stuff. Which, which it sounds like it's really, really confusing because James was like, yeah, that's like, I felt like that was a whole nother rabbit hole to go down if you're talking about 
underwater yeah. decibels. Because well, I had looked up, well, I had looked up the comparison rates of just, I guess, regular decibels. Terrestrial, terrestrial and, and decibels. Think, yeah, and I think even terrestrial, you still could get a slight idea because the sperm whale click is 236 underwater uh, decibels. 36 underwater decibels. Okay. Yes. But if you th- if I think about one of the loudest things I've ever been around, and I think that's like a jet engine when I'm at like an air show or something, and that's 140 Motorhead. Motorhead. land decibels. ACDC. So which you said, though, yeah. ACDC and Motorhead concerts were 140 decibels. About so around there, yeah. Anyway, the like that's the some of the loudest stuff I've ever experienced with yeah. my own ears. And so yeah. the fact that these things underwater are creating sounds that potentially could be heard, um, some researchers think, around the world. Yeah. They, they have their own system of wireless. With their clicks and, you know. Well, it's a, it's, it's, a possi- it's digital communication, they say. Yeah. It possibly could be digital communication, what they're doing. Yeah. So we don't know. There's so much. We, and we're, we're going to ruin this whole thing. No, we're no, no, no. no. We're, we're going to get all excited up. and just blab yeah, here. Because we are. We're both just kind of jazzed out right now. It's so cool. And uh, anyway, so a little bio on, uh, on James. James Nestor is a San Francisco-based journalist who has written for Outside Magazine, Men's Journal, Scientific American, Dwell Magazine, NPR, The New York Times, The Atlantic, and the San Francisco Chronicle, Magazine, and others. His science adventure book, Deep, Free Diving, Renegade Science, and What the Ocean Tells Us About Ourselves, was released in 2014. And this book made all the lists. It was an Amazon bestseller, BBC Book of the Week. Uh, BuzzFeed loved it. Um, Everyone loved it. Uh, on April 18th, <laughs> everybody, everybody, everybody did. Everybody did. Yeah. April 18th, 2016, the New York Times uh, and Within released The Click Effect, which is a virtual reality Dude. experience that you can go on to his website, which yeah. we will have linked up, uh, Mr. James um, Nestor. Nestor.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can actually click on it and with your phone kind of get this virtual reality VR experience. It's a seven minute short film. That is like you could turn around, move your phone, and there's like a dolphin under you. You're freaking out. It's fun, I mean, but obviously it's geared towards a, a full VR helmet, VR which effect, we don't yeah. have. Yeah. Um, anyway, but that won a bunch of awards too. It was uh, shown at Sundance Film Festival. Yeah. It was Emmy nominated. And I'm sure because it's had like over a million downloads. Um, more than a million times. Yeah, more that I'm sure it has increased this knowledge of these animals and what they're capable of doing and yeah. all that good stuff. So James has some new work that we yeah. discussed also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got uh, a new book coming out. Yeah, the, the actual book um, name is uh, Breathe, The New Science of a Lost Art. And it'll be released on May 26th, 2020. It explores how the human species has lost the ability to breathe properly over the past several hundred thousand years and is now suffering from a laundry list uh, malady. Oh my god. Maladies. Oh my god. I'm, I'm, <laughs> maladies. I'm, I'm, maladies. <laughs> Snoring, sleep apnea, <laughs> asthma, autoimmune disease. Uh, because of this, right? Yeah. Um, and this all ties in. We covered a lot of stuff in yeah. this show. Um, James Nestor is a fan. Is a, is a fascinating person, and I'm. I know we are both very humbled to have him on. Uh, just the, this subject matter was something that we were so excited about, and we are excited about. And he took the time to chat with us, and I know that means a lot to us. So thank you, James. And we want you guys all to enjoy our conversation with Mr. James Nestor.
breakfast time Ooh. a couple months ago. Our personal favorite meal. And yes. well, I was sitting there at the table and you were at work and I'm thumbing through social media that morning and often videos don't really catch my attention. I don't yeah. click on yeah. them. I'm just like, Egh. yeah. And for some reason, a video that was talking about sperm whale communication and diving caught my attention and I started playing it and I was instantly hooked and sucked in. Yeah. So after that was done. You were, like, you were pulled down. I was. <laughs> oh. So after six minutes of watching that, I sent that to you and then yeah. you were like, oh my oh, God, this mind is, blown. This is amazing. Yeah. Holy hell. And then yeah. I think like either that afternoon or the next day you're like, He's going to be on the show. Yeah, well, yeah. He, and I was like, yeah. oh, what the hell? Awesome. Well, so yeah. anyway, we want to welcome uh, author and journalist James Nestor to the show. James, thank you for taking the time to come on Ghostly Talk. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Um, as we said, this was one of those things we were just bopping around and came across your work and your presentations. And yeah, to... I mean, Amber already said that, but I want to reiterate that. And I don't think she said it with enough oomph. We were both really kind of just floored by what you had to talk about. And I guess what we can start with, at least kind of getting from the ground floor, is the practice of free diving, which I, I hate to say this, but until I we saw, at least when I saw your presentations, um, I had no idea what free diving really was. I just thought there was like maybe scuba diving or, you know, well, as we say, like equipment assisted diving. Um, but there is this thing called free diving. Could you explain to us a little bit? Because, I mean, I would not be able to, I'm I, sure I have like, an idea, yeah. but um, could you explain to us a little bit about what the practice of free diving really is? For sure. And and just to back up just a little bit, yeah. um, that whole feeling of being mes- mesmerized and intrigued and mystified by seeing free diving, like that is exactly what I felt when I first happened upon this world several years ago. Okay. So I had no background in any of this stuff. Yeah. You know, I grew up near the ocean. I surfed, you know, every day for, for years and years. But had never gone beneath the surface of the ocean beyond scuba diving. So when I was on an assignment for Outside Magazine to go to Greece to report on something called the World Freediving Championship, I was, I was coming in blank. And what freediving is specifically is you take a breath at the surface and you dive down. And people are saying, Right now, probably, oh, I do that all the time in a pool or yeah, in a lake. Yeah. The difference is with freediving, these people can go down 100 feet, 200 feet, 300 feet, 400 feet on a single breath. They can stay down there for several minutes at a time, yeah. five or six minutes at a time, and then come back to the surface and be completely fine. Oh. So it's, you know, it's more than just a sport. It is an underwater meditation, but it's also one of the simplest, most intuitive things you can do. You hold your breath. You go down in the water. But there's a whole other world down there, which I'm sure we'll, we'll get to in a bit. But oh, yeah. that, that's the short slash long version of, of what freediving is. Well, yeah, you know, and my observations of that, and it's funny you mentioned that because, I mean, we've all swam in pools or we've been in oceans we, or lakes or whatever they may be. And I know I've done that. I've taken a breath and I've went down about. You know, and like when you say like 100 or 200 feet, I know there's going to be somebody listening to this show who's going to be like, well, isn't that far down? Uh-huh. Um, okay. And I know myself, I've taken a breath and I've went like 15, 20 feet under the, you know, under the, under the surface of the water 
where I've done that before. And it's an amazing feeling just being that deep in the water, which is not that deep at all. Because you look up, at least to me, I look up and see, I can still see the surface of the water, right? And it's it, to me, it's still very humbling just being that shallow still uh, and still feeling that little bit of pressure and just looking up. It's, it's a feeling that I can't really even describe. But to, but then take that into perspective that people go 100, 200, 300 feet, which to the people that think that isn't very deep, that's very deep when you're doing this unassisted. You're Again, free diving is people just taking a breath and going under the water. And that's all this is. And I think it's very humbling. <laughs> that's all I could think of when I was ab- observing your talks on this, James, was um, this idea of going under the water like that. Now, you said you initially you saw this in Greece. You said right. This is where you you observed this competition, correct? That's the first the first time I ever saw it in in real life. Yeah. Now there's a lot of people I'm sure that were very successful at this, um, but not everybody's successful at this though. Am I correct? I mean, this is something that I mean, this is a sport, obviously, um, but it's a, it's a challenging and it can be very dangerous though too. Am I right? It is. As a sport, it's ridiculous in the same way that yoga would be ridiculous as a sport or meditation would be ridiculous as a sport, you know? Yeah. And that's an analogy I've used before. It's like you would never challenge your friend to see how much of a backbend you could do without your back breaking. <laughs> but that's essentially what competitive freediving is, is doing. It's seeing how deep you can dive on a single breath of air and come back to the surface conscious. So if you're challenging yourself and you're diving deeper and deeper and deeper each time, you're obviously going to be coming up to the surface sometimes unconscious, and the ocean is, is going to have its way with you. So so it, in some ways, it was very interesting to have my first experience seeing freediving at a competition where I was seeing this extreme side of it, this very competitive, yeah. aggressive side of it. Whereas there is this completely other world of freediving um, that I went into in, in my book and spent most of the time in that world where you're using your body and your own natural abilities to explore this completely different different world, this, this different planet that you know yeah. covers 71% of Earth that no one really sees and that a lot of people think you can only access in machines, either with scuba over submarines, but it so happens to be that humans are imbued with this power to dive extremely deep for an extremely long time, just like seals, just like dolphins and whales. And when we do that, we really connect with ourselves and with the ocean and with these animals at large. So that was the world I got very interested in and, and yeah. still am. Wow. So James, how does the human body even allow this to happen? Hmm. Yeah, and this this was something. After after I saw all of those divers diving, mm-hmm. you know, I kept wondering. It was like, how the hell are these people coming coming not exploding their lungs? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Not exploding their brains, or or not or not exploding their kidneys, or what whatever. You know, how how is this possible? Because if anyone any regular person goes into a pool, you you dive down to the the bottom of the pool you know maybe it's 10 12 feet and your ears are hurting you yep. feel yeah. that pressure every 33 feet pressure doubles but we have we are all born it's in our genes with something called the mammalian dive reflex which are a series of reflexes actually it's not just one that allows us to dive for very deep and for very long what happens is the deeper and deeper we go 
in into the water, the less and less we resemble our human cells, our terrestrial cells. We become a different kind of animal. And this is something I got I had heard about for a long time and finally got curious enough that I wanted to experience experience it and really, really feel it for myself. So um, you know, in a nutshell, the mammalian dive reflexes are very complicated. There's a bunch of them, but essentially it makes you more and more adapted to the ocean and its pressures. And they are the exact same reflexes that other marine mammals use, you know, the same reflexes that whales use to dive down 7,000, 8,000 feet, or dolphins use wow. to dive down 1,000 feet. Humans have these too. It's just many of us don't know we have them. And we've never tried to access them. And that's what freedivers do. They relearn these evolved adaptations and harness them to dive deeper and deeper. Um, I, you know, it's in, that's an interesting point because I think us as our, you know, bipedal land walking things we are, we, and I'll include myself in this to a certain degree, we view the water as it's foreign. It's something we don't belong in. And I think it's, I think a lot of that, may stem from when we were when we were all younger and our parents were paranoid about us drowning and everything that we would go near. I know that was when I was growing up, it was like, you, know, you got to be careful in the water, you could drown. So I think that may kind of instill this fear of water and spending long amount of times under it, I guess. Um, it seems like, yeah, people are turned off to it now. For sure. And I think we're scared about what we don't know, right? So yeah. there's some cultures that that live on the water six months out of the year. They, they live in boats. They're called the Moken. And they're out there for six months. And so the kids born into that culture learn how to swim before they know how to walk. And their eyes have actually changed to allow them to focus underwater much better than, than a regular human or Whoa. someone not conditioned to that. So it just shows you they're not scared of, of the water. They understand their limits within it. They understand it's a very powerful thing. But they're comfortable in that space because they've been around it so, so much, yeah, yeah. you know, our contact, you're, you're right. You think about everyone's scared of, of sharks. Why? Because everyone saw Jaws yeah. in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> exactly. you know, and, and all the movies that, that were made after that. But, but any free diver or any diver who's spent a lot of time in the ocean knows that, you know, 99% of the sharks are going to be completely cool with you down there. It's just, we're, we're fed all of these ideas of what to fear even though that most of them are baseless. Yeah. And so it's, it's nice to strip that away. It takes a while to strip that away, mind you, you know, if we grew up in the, in Western culture, but um, once you strip it away, then, then the world really starts to open up. You know, it's conditioning. It really is. And it, I mean, Jaws is a great example of that. It's made everybody afraid. And it's such a weird thing. Cause you've already said that this is 70, 70, 71% of our planet is water. We know that our bodies are made up of almost the same amount of water. We we have to drink water to survive. Water's in just about everything that we consume. I mean, it's it's just a part of who we are. It's just naturally what we are. Um, but it seems like people are afraid to spend time in it like what we're talking about now. I find it very weird and ironic kind of, that just that whole idea. You mentioned the mammalian – I'm going to screw this up because I'm terrible with things. The mammalian reflex – is that, did I get it right? Mammalian dive reflex, also known as the master switch. So those, those Thank two you. mean the same thing. I was going to ask you what its relation was to the master switch of life, but they're the same thing. 
Same thing, that master switch of life, that term was coined by a physiologist in the 1960s. So, because he, he, this, he was the first to really discover these mammalian dive reflexes and discover all of these animals who had them. And he said, there is a switch inside of each of us that no one's accessing right now. And once we flip that on, we become this, this other thing. And so it's about learning how to flip that on and using it responsibly and then flipping it back off again. So, so that's wow. what those, those two terms mean. It's the, that ability to be a part of the water and to be, uh, you know, to thrive in it, not to be scared of it. Yeah. I think the idea people have still is just, well, you know, we've, we've talked about that. <laughs> I mean, going 300, it's, it's insane to me to think about somebody well, who can go three or 400 then, feet underwater. It's yeah, no, that's, and I'm watching yeah. these videos and I'm watching yeah. some of the lectures that James did and that are up on YouTube yeah, yeah. and I'm getting anxiety. <laughs> Watching these people just slowly descend into the yeah. depths of the ocean, which for me, that's also terrifying. Like that dark ocean floor, like, no, no, there's something down there. There's a monster. There's a monster. I don't know how, like, I, I think like, what if you started to panic? You And you would have to be in this really calm meditative state because if you started to panic, you would, I mean, you're breathing water and you're that far down. I don't know. James, has anyone, anything like that ever happened that you, like some kind of uh, incident like that in this type of diving? And then also just the fact that you, they do have to train to have that meditative aspect to it, to, to keep calm. Well, that was my favorite part of learning how to free dive is it is a forced meditation. You can't free dive and say, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to dive really deep, I'm going to come back up. It's your mind won't allow you to dive deep, your body won't allow you to dive deep. It's about completely giving in to this process. So, you know, regarding panic, a lot of people, I've, I've done that talk a zillion times, and some people in the audience, I thought they were going to pa- you know, pass out, because these, <laughs> these are people who've never held their breath for more than, than 10 seconds. But but it's, it's about training yourself and having a confidence in your body and in human evolution that we are born to do this. We're born in an amniotic fluid that's 99% similar to seawater, right? All life came from the oceans. So when we're going deep in the ocean, we're going back to, to where it all began and where we belong. You know, as far as people panicking when they're that deep, they wouldn't be able to get that deep if they had some some chronic panic or anxiety. That's the thing. They would have turned turned around. If you're down 200 feet or 300 feet, you're in the zone and you know what you're doing. And and it's that zone, that that feeling of complete meditative calmness that I found is one of the most therapeutic and amazing things about free diving. You know, there aren't many places in the world where you can go where there's no cell phones or someone's not, you know, yapping to someone else, or there aren't car horns, or there's traffic, or train sounds. But but when you're in the when you're in the water, it's completely silent. And especially in in some conditions, when you go down forty or fifty feet, you cannot see the surface. Yeah. So you are in this this hazy ball, and you really feel like you have left the terrestrial world, and you are existing in another universe, which in many ways you are. You are now a part of the water. You're no longer, and the rules on land no longer apply to those rules down in the water. And and it's that whole separation from all of this BS in, in 
in our world, in the terrestrial world, and to be down there and have that little respite from that world, you know, every two minutes, and then you take a breath and you go back down. I just love it. And, and to the free divers that I know, that's what draws them back over and over again to doing this. Oh, my God. I, I, yeah, I'm just... It's it's amazing. It's an. I would never. Sorry, we're a little speechless right now because I think I think we both are. In a million years, I would never ever think that that was something people would do to find calmness and stillness. Although I completely understand that. Be like when you do go underwater and how you don't hear anything. Yeah, and I think it's also because I have a healthy fear of like water like that like oceans lakes anything i can't see like this yeah. would not be my meditative sport like this is not my my jam and i and i it's fine you would be... <laughs> what was that james well, well you would be surprised so so mm. during the show or after the show or whatever you go to a, a bathroom or any any place where where you've got a sink get some cold water and splash that cold water on your face and right there at that moment your heart rate is going to slow down about 25 percent Okay. Just and with blood cold is water, start coming in from your extremities just from cool water. That is the first mammalian dive reflex. You stim. It's a physiological. So there's the mental part of it. You have to convince yourself you can do this, right? But there is a physiological part of it. Nothing to do with what you're thinking. So this whole age-old remedy of like go calm down, splash water on your face. That's rooted in actual science. Huh. It slows your heart rate. It calms you down. So the deeper and deeper you go into that water, the calmer and calmer you get, the slower your heart rate's going to be, the more blood is going to be start pouring into where your, your organs are, and the more you enter into this, this other zone. So you almost become a reptile, you know. So, so that's something for, for people who don't want to go hold their breath in a pool. And don't do that unless you know what you're doing. You can go splash water on your face right now and you can feel that calmness sweep over you. That's just a hint of what's to come the deeper and deeper you go. Well, you know, it made me think of one thing also. I get yelled at because I take, I take excessively long showers around here. I get yelled at, right? And... I'll, I'll honestly say I think about maybe five minutes of the shower I take is actually doing showering things, cleansing and whatnot, right? Um, the other 55 minutes, <laughs> I'm not not that long, but the other, you know, the rest of the shower, which tends to be longer than most people, it's me just kind of standing there going, ugh. But it's not cold water. It's hot. It's hot water, but it's still water, though. And I, I mean, I mean, this hot. What would would warm water have some type of meditate or I mean, any type of therapeutic effect the same way as cold water, or is that something totally different, James? Sure, sure, it does. But cold water is going to have more of an effect, especially on yeah. the face. The beginning. So this is why you know so many people are getting into cold water therapy right now, where they dunk in an ice pool for for two minutes and then come out and go into a a hot sauna for two minutes, but people have been doing this for thousands of years. This is nothing new. They're just finding new science behind it because we have new instruments to measure what exactly it does. Yeah. But, you know, people have been bathing in spas and, and seeking the the effects of the water, the therapeutic effects for, for as long as people have been around. You see monkeys in Japan in the snow hanging out in hot water pools. You know, yeah. it's obviously doing something for them. Yeah. yeah. So, so sure, uh, any any kind of water, just different temperatures will have slightly different effects. But, but I, on a whole, you know, all, all of it is therapeutic for sure. Well, and you say like this is nothing new, and I and I found that interesting in one of your lectures that you met. You said like people in Japan 
thousands of years ago were already doing this deep dive yeah. to get pearls and sponges and that these reports would come back where explorers were like, oh, my God, these people were underwater for 15 minutes. And they were like, no, no, you were just drunk. You didn't see that. That's not possible. <laughs> and really that they, they mastered this. I mean, it, it, it's not a crazy story. And that's fascinating. Yeah, there's archaeological evidence of free diving around the Baltic Sea that's from 10,000 years ago because that's how they used to get food. They, they would go and they dive down and they pick up shells and they pick up coral around Greece, uh, red coral, which only grows below 100 feet. There's, that was one of the hottest commodities that they were trading with, with the East, you know, thousands of years ago. Yeah. So, and it was happening. If you were on the coast, man, you were diving in the ocean. And that, that's what I've found because you can, you can span the coast all around the world, even in frigid conditions. The Vikings were great free divers. You know, you imagine the temperature of the water. Yeah. They didn't have wetsuits in the North in the North Sea. So I had heard that there were still a few of these women who were living this traditional life. And that life is where they would just wake up at, you know, 6 a.m. And they'd go out and they dive every day. And I had heard that they'd been doing it since their teenage years. And now some of them were in their 70s and 80s. But no one I knew or I could find had any proof of that. So I, I went to Japan and and found them. And there they were, you know, these 80 year old women who have been diving for every single day. They were complete badasses. They were <laughs> so strong. They had complete <clears throat> mental clarity. They were complete, like in balance. They had no illnesses. So it just shows you the effects of, of, of water and getting into the ocean every day. And who, you know, if, if anyone would deny that, just go to Japan and, and talk to these women. I mean, they could have easily kicked my ass, you know, <laughs> in, in, in any which way. I had to sit there at the surface and watch them. 80-year-old woman diving down 40 feet, 50 feet, coming up with urchins. Wow. You know, in her bare hands. Oh, so, so, you know, I think we, we just used to be a lot tougher before – TV and sofas and uh, where, where you either had to go out and do this stuff or you were going to die. And uh, we're, we're losing touch with that side of our, our evolution and our abilities. And it's nice to be reminded that we still have this stuff when we need it. Well, you know, and I, we've talked about that often here in the past too. Um, it seems that people, uh, yeah, it's the society that we live in now. I mean, yeah, you don't have to hunt for your food. You can go down the street to whatever, whatever shopping store you like to go to and get you, get whatever food you want. Um, you don't, you know, you, if you want to stay warm, you turn the furnace on. You don't have to go out and cut down wood and, and get a fire going. We don't, I mean, everything is kind of automated now as far as quality of life, where as we both know, we all know that it wasn't like that not too long ago only too. And I think people are disconnected from that and, yeah, when you're talking about badasses, yeah, <laughs> these people are badasses because they had to live off of this land, and that's not easy. We both know that. Um, if somebody was to throw me into, dive me into a lake that cold, I know what would happen to me. <laughs> I, would, I, don't, I would scream. I would, I would probably make sounds I've never made before because I'm not set up for it. I don't know how to, I, my body don't, because I'd never done it before, right? Um, but but it's. It's conditioning, you know, yeah, that's yeah. what everyone says. And and I just have to, with free diving, I saw this stuff. I was like, yeah. there's no way I'm ever, ever going to do that. I don't have the interest. I don't have the abilities. And then you just do it and you're like, oh, 
that wasn't even that hard. We wow. just we've convinced ourselves that we're unable to do so much stuff. You're right. Again, it's nice to convince yourself that man, we've made it like the human body. This is millions of years of of evolution working to create who we are. Let's put it to work. Like let, let's test it out. Yeah. You know, and not take it for granted. And and I think that that's that's what free divers do. And it was nice to see that that other side of that that other slice of life, I guess you could say. Yeah. So was it the was it going to this competition and experiencing free diving for the first time and obviously learning a ton about it um, that led you to studying the free diving and the sperm whales? Yeah. So I went to the competition and I said, wow, you know, this stuff is is amazing. I yeah. never could never possibly believe that it existed. But I was lucky enough to meet someone there who said, hey, this is only a very small piece of, of what freediving is about. Yeah. Come with me. I'm going to, you know, I'm taking off in a couple of months. I'm going to show you this other side of it. So it was through through him. His name was Fred Fred Boyle um, that I was introduced to other people in the freediving community, and some of whom have found that freediving is the best way to really connect with oceanic animals. If you think about scuba or submarines or boats, all of that stuff is very disruptive for for animals um, who have extremely keen and sensitive senses. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever scuba dived. I've done a ton of scuba and I still do it and I love it. But fish aren't going to come up to you when you're scuba diving. They're freaked out. Like you're a threat to them. But when you're free diving, you're silent. And so instead of being an observer into that world, you become a part of it. Everything yeah. comes up to you and welcomes you in, into their, their place. That means sharks. That means dolphins. It means fish, turtles. And it especially means whales. Uh, extremely intelligent animals. They see you in the water, you know, a hundred feet down, hanging out with them. They're like, okay, let's let's get to know one <laughs> another. And so I spent a lot of time with people who were getting closer to whales than than I think anyone has ever gotten to, uh, as far as researching them. And yeah. You can see it in these pictures. I mean, face to face with the largest predators on the planet, the animals with the largest brains to have ever been discovered in the universe. Um, we know these animals are communicating. We don't know what they're saying because we haven't really gone down there and truly listened. So that's what I think freediving is such a wonderful tool yeah. for, is to get you to be enveloped within these communities and to, to try to understand them. Yeah. Now, let's talk about this this language because... Um, Right, uh, I was, I did. We were doing our prep for the show, but I got home here right before, and Amber's like, "Well, were you able to watch the click effect?" I'm like, "I didn't have a chance today." She's like, "Well, maybe grab your phone and watch it right now." And this is on your website, MrJamesNestor.com, mm -hmm. and um, I watched this, and I know this was like it's a it's a virtual reality experience, experience basically. But you know, on your phone, that's what we what I had available to me, um, and I found myself immediately. Because you're, you have to. It's a film, but you know it's v. It's it's three D basically. Yeah. So you move the fo the phone around, and you can see all around you, under, you, below you, above you, below you, and within the sea. And I did it. I totally did. I and I made myself laugh because I'm like, oh my god, there's a whale. Oh my god, and there I am standing there observing. Oh my god, there's dolphins. Um. So I mean, wow. The first off, that was incredible. But 
the click effect. I mean, this is what we're talking about. And um, yeah, how, I've heard, I've heard it. I've heard it. Um, Insane. Yeah. And it's, it's, well, yeah, it's very intriguing. It I sounds guess. like Morse code under the water. Well, yeah. Um, go ahead, James. Sorry. Exactly. When when you think about whales communicating or whale sounds, most people associate the humpback songs, these big, glorious, beautiful songs that they transmit, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles to one another across the ocean. But for for other animals, cetaceans, most cetaceans, if you're talking about dolphins or sperm whales, they use a completely different form of communication that is not beautiful. Uh, it's extremely caustic. And if anyone out there is, is old enough to be around in the dial-up router days, yeah. it yeah. sounds like a dial-up router or a fax machine yeah. where it sounds like you're getting you know, mowed down by a machine gun. <laughs> and, and these are some of the loudest animal sounds on the planet. And when you're in the water with them, your body will vibrate because they're so loud. And it's inside these little clicks. They, they're just, they sound like, just like bullets going off, you know, a shotgun, just pew, 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 pew. Uh, inside of those. If you were to take one of those second long clicks and put it in a spectrogram, which is a visual readout of an audio signal and expand that spectrogram, what you would see is a bunch of embedded codes within that. And you can go deeper and deeper and deeper into this. Like a, an analogy I used was a Russian nesting doll, where it just keeps getting more and more complex and complicated. So we know that these animals are communicating with, within these clicks because they can repeat the same clicks over and over again. So it's not random. It's not like a dog barking or a cat meowing. Yeah. This is a form, complex, probably digital, no one knows, communication. And um, that's what we're, we're working on right now um, to, to try to really figure out. These sounds from some of the stuff that I was reading and in and, and your discussions, yeah, you did say, I mean, there would be a set of, I mean, and it's very, it's actually very musical. You, I mean, for example, you'd have, let's say like one set of clicks, it'd be quarter, like quarter notes. And then within that you'd have uh, eighth notes. And then within that you'd have 16th notes and so on, right? Where it came down to where you you have more or less just buzzing sounds within all the, I mean, and this is all going on at the same time. Am I correct? Yeah. These, these uh, whales, Will, will shoot these sounds to other whales in their pods. So they'll turn and they'll twist their head and they'll pop them with one of these sounds. And then the other one will turn, twist his head, and pop them back. So if they're oriented all in a circle, they're just sending these clicks back and forth to one another. Um, and it's as a passive observer to be in the water with these animals clicking. I mean, this is one of the most intense experiences I've ever had in my life because you're in the presence of an ancient animal that's been around for 50 million years. It's had its brain size for that long. You know, humans have had our current brain sizes for, what, 300,000 years? Yeah. So, so they're way ahead of us. Um, and they're extremely intelligent. We know that they have cultures similar to human cultures. So you're in the water, your body's vibrating, these animals are communicating, they're probably talking about you. They could be trying to communicate with you 
with these clicks, but you can't talk back. The only thing you can do is, you know, make passive gestures and, and thank them for, for letting you be, you know, in, in this moment uh, with these other animals. But it's a, everyone I know that has been diving with these animals and had that experience, it's like that door opens and it never really closes again. And some of, some of these people like ruin their lives after this because they're like, how, how can I go back to work in a cubicle after I've just hung out with this alien beast who's communicating in a way that's probably more sophisticated than any human communication. And a lot of people get very, very obsessed with it. So, you know, we've been chipping away at this for years. Uh, my book came out years and years ago, but this was just an experience and, yeah. and part of research that I've never able been been really able to, to let go of. I'm excited, more excited now to free dive as ever. I'm more fascinated with sperm whales than I've, than I've ever been. So, yeah. And the deeper and deeper we go into this, the, the more it, it reveals other hidden mysteries. And so it's, it's fascinating. So, James, you had said that the sperm whale click is actually 236 decibels, which is... Underwater decibel. That, that's correct. That yep. is bananas. So to put that into perspective. But wait a minute. Now, now you said underwater decibels. Is that different from oh God. air decibels? I mean, as far as. Like it, open... is, it is. The physics of this gets insanely com- complex. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's we shouldn't do extremely this. Extremely loud. It is extremely loud. Um, and it is the loudest animal sound on the planet. And, and it's loud enough to explode a human if they chose to if that sound is loud enough to kill a human easily through through the vibrations now wow. comparing them side to side with a you know a new boeing airplane decibel wise that's where it gets really murky and weird okay uh because there's underwater decibels and there's there's terrestrial decibels. but yeah. we won't get into that but but needless to say this this stuff is so loud and it's it and uh easily loud enough to to kill people or other animals oh my god so when you when you have been diving with these animals what was that first impression when you heard these clicks go off what was going through your head well well it 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 brings up a, a fundamental mystery here right so these animals could instantly kill you they could whack you with their flukes. They could bite you with their eight-inch long teeth. They could swallow you. They could click you to death. I mean, there's, there's probably 20 other ways they could, they could kill you. But they choose not to. So when they're around you, they choose not to use those super powerful clicks, even though they could. Yeah. So I had this all in my mind saying, like, you know, these, these could be my last breaths I've, I've ever taken because – not that many people have been diving with sperm whales, right? Right. So we don't really know the percentages of who makes it in, who makes it out. But, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, there's something, and this sounds probably a little woo-woo, a little out there, but, but screw it. I'll just, I'll just tell you straight <laughs> how I felt. Is you're in the presence of this animal. It's looking at you straight in the eye. It's hanging up with you. It's approaching you. And there is just this instant knowing that this animal is extremely smart and extremely knowledgeable. And if you go and look up on online sperm well eye, 
the thing, looking back at you, I have a feeling people are going to have that, that same reaction. Um, and you have to trust that. And I did, I trusted that, that feeling. And I was with people that said, they're not going to even approach if you're coming in with bad vibes. So first of all, you have to come in with positive vibes, then they approach. And she was 100% right. So, um, you know, there was no real logic beyond that. <laughs> any insurance policy would have not have, like, taken out anything on, on me going to, to, <laughs> to swim with sperm whales. Like, it's dangerous, crazy yeah. stuff. All, a whole bunch of stuff could happen. But you're also, like, life is worth living. And, and that experience of really connecting with these animals on in a, in a deep way uh, was well worth the, the risk, in my mind. But... This is not an endorsement for anyone to leave your job and go out and dive with sperm whales. It's super freaking hard. You're going to be out in the ocean for months and not see anything. So, yeah. Uh, but, but for me, it was part of my research. I had to be out there. I wanted to experience this, and, and it happened, and I think about it all the time. Well, and I can't had, wait to repeat it again. You had mentioned that it was kind of like a new age experience watching these whales do their pod thing when when they kind of get around that circle and stand upright in the water and i kind of giggled when you you know when you said in one of your lectures and i think the crowd kind of giggled too when you were like you know it was very new age <laughs> but it is almost like a i mean i hate to say this word but almost like a oddly spiritual experience being down there i mean you have to come in with these pure intentions i guess and and be cool and and have those good vibes to even approach them well, yeah Absolutely, you, you know, and, and it was. And, and the people who I know, and many of these people were really straight-laced folks, and then they had this experience, and, man, they've, they've really turned the other cheek now. So, yeah. so I, I think that if you open yourself up to it, and without going too far out, you know, there were no harps, there were no bongo drums, <laughs> there were no rainbows, but you don't need that stuff to have a spiritual experience. You know, the, the natural world is amazing enough if you open yourself up to it and, and, and really start to let it in. Well, and that's, I've been talking about this idea for a while now. Um, and, and it's just this idea, I call it the mystery of communication with animals, right? Um, we all have pets. Uh, and I think we, we, you spend time with a pet that lives in your house and you develop a bond with them that we can't really explain as people. Uh, we have a cat, for example, and she don't speak English and we don't speak cat, but we do know where she, we can, we have telepathy. Well, we do. Okay. Maybe we have some telepathy. <laughs> I really firmly believe yeah. you develop a form of telepathy with yeah. your pets. Yeah. I, maybe you do. It's, um, it's maybe not English words or something, but there's like a knowing. And the one, well, there's just, there's intuition, there's instinct after a while. You kind of know when each other's not feeling well. It's just, it's this mystery. And I think any, I think good people, uh, genuine people, when it comes to animals, whether it's a house cat or a doggy or a, a sperm whale, right? There's something humbling and, and spiritual about breaking through that veil, Maybe in even maybe just a little bit, maybe not all the way, but maybe just a little bit breaking through that veil with an animal and having some type of connection with them. Because to me, you know, anything besides the bipedal humans that we are, they are pretty pure. Uh, they're innocent in this thing we have, whatever's happening on this planet right now. They're innocent, innocent in all of it. Right. 
um, they don't have the same thoughts we do, I don't think. So, I mean, I'm kind of tripping out on this whole thing, but I can only imagine how I feel when the cat responds to me here with a meow, how much that makes my heart swell, right? If I came to a sperm whale that, like you said, could kill me in an instant if they really wanted to, and you have some type of communication with them, whatever it may be, that would probably bring me to tears. I That would just humble me, I think, so much. Uh, I don't know how, to me, that's this is, when I was watching these videos of you guys out there, it seemed like it was a very emotional thing. This was, obviously, it was scientific research, but to me, it seemed like this was a spiritual thing for you people also. Am I correct? Oh, for for sure it was, you, you know, and I think that that's what, that's what really ties you to go back into and, and learn more of it. The scientific pursuit is one thing, but there's some things that we're never going to be able to explore scientifically. And there's other things that we just intuitively know. Right? So, and you're 100% right with, with pets. I have a dog. She was just at my feet here a second ago. Now, now she's up and around. She knows exactly what's going on with me day yeah. to day. And yeah. I usually know what's going on with her. So there are different levels of communication. And other animals have this with other animals as well. I mean, if, if you think about... A horse, for instance, a horse can kill a person so easily at, at any time. And, and most of the time, they, they choose not to, you know. So there's a deeper understanding between us and animals that has not been explored. You know, we've spent so many tens of millions of dollars looking for intelligence outside of our solar system. And we haven't spent hardly any time and any energy looking at the intelligent life on this planet that's all around us. It's right under our noses all the time. And I think sperm whales, even though they seem like an abstract, weird animal to study, they have a huge brain. They've been around for a long time. We know they're talking. Like, we don't know if cats are talking, right? We don't know if dogs are talking. We know they're communicating in other ways. But we know sperm whales are communicating. So to me, that seems like a, a good place to start start with the the alpha communicator right this probably the smartest animal that has ever been on the planet and then work down from there that yeah and and the fact with their brains being so big and way older than ours one of the things you had mentioned was how much larger their neocortex was and having uh more spindle cells if i remember that spindle right spindle cells yeah and how these are associated with love suffering and language things that a lot of people disassociate with animals which is why we don't allow them to have rights and i think that with 70% of the sperm whale population being gone and efforts being made to protect them especially if intelligence is proven I hope that happens in our lifetime because it, it sucks that intelligence is a requirement to procure protection. Yeah. But I, I don't know. So I, I, it's, I completely, completely. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and this is what's so absurd. It's like, you know, when neurologists were finding like, oh, this is what makes us better than everything. Oh, we have spindle cells as well. Now we're, definitely better. We're the smartest, most intelligent animals on the planet. You know, we haven't been around that long and we've completely screwed up everything. 
So if, if you look at another animal, like a truly intelligent animal would be a good steward of their own environment. And you look at oceanic animals, like, like ancient sperm whales, these animals have been around for millions of years because they're doing something right. So I think we'd have a lot to learn from them on, on how to go about looking into the future and, and how to plan for the future in different ways. So it's, it's funny, just all of these metrics that we created 50 years ago to show our superiority, once you get other marine mammal biologists proving these same other animals, it kind of blows our, our theory to, to smithereens, right? So, yeah. so sperm whales, for instance, have six times as many spindle cells as we do. Their neocortex is, you know, five times as large as ours. So they, I mean, it, it's just funny that, that maybe they should spend more time looking at these animals and considering how intelligent and important they are instead of looking at the human brain and, and trying to use that as a reason for for taking some sort of uh, superior position over the earth, over the earth. And yeah. Some of this stems from religion, you know, the whole man will inherit the earth, all, all that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. I, I think that even from a religious standpoint, uh, you know, it's about respecting what's around you and trying to understand it in a, in a real way. Well, you know, and that's, that's where <clears throat> I know in this last year, especially for me, I've, I think I've had some kind of epiphany, uh, because I, I guess I'm just turning into a tree hugger. <laughs> I mean, I've always been one, but th- this year, especially for some reason, um, I'm becoming way more sensitive to these issues and I'm getting, I feel just, I'm feeling this thing. And I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this, James. There's just this feeling in my gut that I, when I, when I see something, you know, like, well, let's just throw out the, the current things happening right now, Australia, it's making me sick to my stomach. What's going on. Right. Um, and I mean, there's, I've heard my story, I've heard, I've read the stories about what caused it and whatnot, but obviously it's to a point, honestly, where I had to shut off, shut myself off from it for a little while because the emotional draw it was pulling on me seeing these animals being, you know, being burned and, and injured like they are, um, it, it's, it's messing me up inside. It's messing my mind up. I can't deal with it. Right. Um, so it, to me, it's just it, it's just simple logic here, uh, but as we both know, there are other factions, uh, I guess, other people that have different motives on this planet, and they stand to make a lot of money by taking these creatures and destroying these creatures, uh, and not just leaving them the fuck alone. Frankly, well, yeah, and, and what <laughs> just what, leave them alone? Why are sperm whales hunted? What what's valuable about them? What do they go after? Well, all of the um, lights in the Revolutionary War were all run on sperm whale oil. Okay. So, um, you know, we've been, we've been doing this for 250 years. So, um, and the East Coast was basically founded on sperm whale industry. So, but, but obviously things, things have changed. We don't need sperm whale oil to, to run lamps. We don't need their fat to lubricate joints, right? Everything's changed. So... Japan, which is, and this is so sad, uh, just this year they've started whaling again. Um, for no known reason, they, they hunt these whales and they feed it to school kids. What? But what's so sad about this is, is their flesh is so polluted with, with mercury, P- 
PCBs and, and other problems. You know, so it's not healthy to, to eat the flesh of these animals. So no one knows why they're doing this. It's just some cultural thing that sucks because Japan is, is so awesome in so, so many other ways. I've spent yeah. a lot of time there and, yeah. and I love it. And from what I know, it's like the general population is disgusted that the government does this. So why are they doing it? Why does Iceland want to whale again? Why do the Faroe uh, Islands want to whale again? You know, why do we blast the ocean with these extremely loud noises, which deafen whales to look for oil? Like, man, I don't know. But there's, there's a reason why these huge beachings of whales, these are whales that that use echolocation. So, and you find hundreds of them up on a beach because once you can't hear, you can't see in the ocean. So, so hearing is seen. So it's essentially blinding them. You know, we could go down that, that road, that very sad road right. and, and it exists and it's all real and it's all happening. But what I've tried to focus on is the fascination of these animals and their place on the planet and what we can learn from them. Because uh, I find that that message resonates with, with everyone. Kids love whales. Yeah. Older people love whales. Like, show me someone who doesn't love a whale. I'm going to show you a real jerk. Like, <laughs> the, these, are, these are incredible animals. And so that's how I think we can really make an impact. And, you know, another scientific study about how we're losing all the whales, that's not going to do anything. But, man, if we can communicate with these animals and if we can listen to them, I think that that will cause a fundamental paradigm shift in, in our thinking of not only whales, but all other life on this planet. And so it's that big shift that I think we should go for. And that's, that's what we've been working on is kind of a go big or, or go home approach. I agree a hundred percent. And go ahead, Amber. Uh, well, you got a new book coming out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May 26th of 2020 uh, this what year. Yeah. Look at you. You guys have done your research. We have. <laughs> Very impressive. Um, and it's called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. And I, and I pulled one sentence from it that really intrigued me uh, from the description that humans have lost the ability to breathe correctly with grave consequences. And I couldn't help but wonder if – Kind of your 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 trip down the rabbit hole with the diving and and having to control your breath with that and and then just the the whale research. Obviously, this had to have led you in this direction to write this upcoming book. Yeah, a friend was really giving me a hard time. He's like, "Okay, so deep was all about holding your breath, and your new book's all about breathing." He's like, that's really original. which i had never thought of before and i was like oh maybe he has a point so so yes it did it did lead me free diving to free dive you have to learn how to breathe to hold your breath you really have to know how to breathe so i learned the advantages of learning how to breathe what that could do for you underwater right so you can hold your breath longer you can be more comfortable you have all these experiences with whales and dolphins and sharks and all that but i kept thinking it's like what is what is breathing doing on, on dry land? What are all these different functions of breathing? What do they do for us um, in health, in, in psyche, in physical endurance? And I thought, huh, you know, it's something we all take for granted, just like these mammalian dive reflexes, but I couldn't really find too much information on it. And so as I started researching, I, I didn't know if it was a book I was like, huh, it could be an interesting article or it could be nothing, but I got deeper and deeper into this very weird world and found 
that humans have essentially lost the ability to breathe because of our skulls have changed so much in the past, especially the past 500 years. Um, problems like chronic sinusitis, asthma, choking, snoring, sleep apnea. From what we know of the uh, anthropological record, we did not have these problems until recently. So something caused them. So our skulls are literally shrinking. So no other animal has these problems except for humans. No other animal has chronically crooked teeth except for humans. And I kept asking myself, I was like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? So that's the beginning of the book. And then the rest of the, the other 80% of the book explores how to reverse those problems and what happens when you do. So, of course, I met up with some real freaks who were able to use breathing to superheat their bodies <laughs> in freezing temperatures for hours at a time to, to fix scoliosis to, um, you know, a whole bunch of other wacky stuff. But, but it starts with that fundamental discovery. It's like, wow, why do we snore? Why do we have crooked teeth? Why do we have sinusitis? Why do 80% of the population have these problems? work work back from there so wow. so yeah that's what i've been working on between the uh sperm oil stuff so my my day job has gotten extremely weird my wife is very very concerned <laughs> about uh, all these very weird topics i am pursuing now but but it's keeping me entertained and uh and i wouldn't trade it for the world i, I love it you no, should. it's keeping us entertained too. No, I'm no, looking forward to that book. No, it's and it's just it's it's a beautiful thing too, just to just to hear about this. And uh, again, I watching the videos, just seeing these majestic creatures, just swimming around with people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was it was mm-hmm. truly amazing to see that. Um, and I, you know, and it's the stuff that I just love now to see this kind of communication. And yeah, we don't spend enough time, I think. You know, it's one of the points I heard you make, and I, I it really resonated with me. Is like we spend all this money building machines to for the you know to discover the possibility of some type of communication from across the cosmos, uh, while we have a whole universe sitting, as you said earlier, right under our noses, uh, waiting, waiting, waiting to make communication. And I agree, you're, these. The sperm whales are clearly communicating. They they are communicating, and it's just a matter of sitting down and and, and deciphering this and trying to understand what they're saying. Um, it seems like there that would make more sense to put as many resources into that as you could. They're right here. <laughs> yeah. you, would, you would think, and hopefully we're going to have some announcements in the next couple of months. We can't really talk about it yet. Um, yeah. But it looks like there is there is something very very big uh, and substantial coming down the, the pipe here oh, wow. um, to, to really get a, a foothold and an understanding of these animals before they're gone. So that's, that's what we're really trying to do. And that's what, and that's what really sad. I mean, I know we that's, didn't want to focus on that, Yeah. but it, but yeah. I, I did read that also. It's like, and, and that being said too, like before they're gone, it's like, I know well, why the hell do they have to be but gone? That's exciting. Something big's, big's coming yeah. down yeah. The tube. to me. They yeah. feel like, you know, this is like, we need to find that Rosetta Stone for their language, like how we had to find, you know, for the Egyptians. Like, yeah. you know, that'd be awesome to find out. So, totally. oh, my God. Well, thank you so much, James, thank for you. joining yeah. us. We could talk to you for 10,000 hours over drinks, I'm sure. <laughs> um, you, you're a fascinating person, and you've written some amazing books, and we're looking forward to your newest book coming out. Yes, um, thank you for the work yeah. that you're doing, really. really. It's, it's, it's truly fascinating. Thank yeah, you so much, Yeah, I think much, there's going to be a lot of people, too, that read, you know, listen to our show, 
I'm of course we're gonna like share your videos everywhere, but they're gonna be like, <laughs> oh my god, just because like amazing. people don't know about this stuff. So yes, we're happy to help get it out, and we're we're thrilled that you're doing the same. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks for the great great questions, and man, I can talk about this stuff till the cows come <laughs> yeah. home. So, so I appreciate your your curiosity and research. Um, really appreciate it. Thank you. Ghostly talk. <laughs> 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 <laughs>